This depiction is dangerous. Come on, ain't it? I'm cutting it. Butchery, sadism, murder. A wave of depraved and corrupt horror video. Confusing fiction with reality. Doug Smart, producer, Ident Investment Films. Maybe you could watch my latest Frederick North submission. Wanted a woman's eye on this film. There's this actress. I've got this feeling that's Nina. Oh, my sister. You know, if someone did take it, then there's still out there. You've never been clear on exactly what you remember. You'd be surprised what the human brain can edit out when it can't handle the truth. Someone's losing the plot. I was wondering if you had anything else in this actress. What's going to happen to her? Perhaps top secret. People think that I create horror. Horror is already out there. In all of us. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of Fresh Cuts. After a week off, yes, we did take the rare week off, but we're back, ready to discuss another 2021 release. So joining me, as always, it's Mr. Venom. What's up, Venom? Greetings and salutations, video nasty lovers. Yeah, I'm doing all right, Mike. How you doing? Doing, doing well. Uh, it, was, uh, it was actually kind of nice taking a break off. We, Me and Don were kind of like halfway like possibly putting something together but i don't think we were pressing very hard and when it didn't happen it was like yeah whatever i could use a week off too because much like you which uh you were doing what summer series prep um i'm kind of doing the same thing although like our first episode so the way it kind of turned out this year is um i was originally an adjudic just an adjudicator for two years and then one of the hosts had to swap out one of their years just due to lack of time. So then I'm uh, I'm now a host for 2014, and then I'm just remaining adjudicated for 2019. So suddenly I got like an actual assignment of you know taking over the review, the two main reviews or the two that like each host has to lead through. I got the two that I had to do. So I was like, all right, well I'm probably gonna rewatch those because those happen to be like two of the earliest ones I watched and our our episode's not even scheduled for a few more weeks. So I was like, yeah, I need to space out some of these watches so it's not like I've watched everything a month or so before we record. But I guess that's a little insight in the background of summer series stuff for those that are not familiar. Check out Podcast on the Stairs summer series or just any of Duncan's stuff. And then also joining us, as always, it's Don and Ellie. What's up, Don? Hey, what's going on, everyone? Yeah, great to be back as always. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, we are still um, a little bit between theatrical releases, although that I guess that depends where you live, because um, I want to say this one might have had a minor theatrical release maybe in a couple cities but not where i live so 
we went ahead and got the screener. And uh, that would be 2021 Sensors. Sensor. I don't know if I accidentally had an S sound on the end of that, but it's just Sensor. Um, this one, let's see. It's kind of gotten some buzz from the festivals. So I was interested and we were kind of building up some VOD choices and uh, just kind of threw this one out there. Uh, and everyone seemed okay with it. So we will get into it. IMDb synopsis. After viewing a strangely familiar nasty Enid, a film sensor sets out to solve the past mystery of her sister's disappearance, embarking on a quest that dissolves the line between fiction and reality. All right, general thoughts. Venom, what did you think of Censor? All right, this film is based on a short film from the same director called Nasty uh, from 2015. Um, so the storyline is kind of similar. In the, in the short film, it's actually a 12-year-old boy searching for his missing father, as opposed to this one where we have a fully grown woman searching for her sister that she hasn't seen in years. So some similarities overall about the same film. Um, this is uh, this is an interesting film in the sense that it's a uh, it's definitely a character study about a woman who's dealing with denial um, and that denial as the film progresses kind of turns into obsession. Uh, and so that by the end of the second act, this woman has just completely lost her grip on reality and she's just dead set on trying to solve the mystery of her missing sister. Now, on paper, this is a movie that I should love. Uh, we're dealing, as Mike said in the description, we're dealing with a film censor working in the UK in the 70s, right in the height uh, of the video nasty era. Any, anyone I doubt there's anyone listening who doesn't know what a video nasty is, but on the off chance that you don't, it's basically a term that was utilized uh, by the film board in the UK. Uh, basically, in the late 70s and early 80s, there was an influx of VHS tapes coming into the country, mostly American films, um, you know, Splatterfests, gore, gory films, things like that. I know Evil Dead was on there, Cannibal Holocaust, films like that. And basically, because they were coming in on VHS, they were basically uh, usurping or bypassing any kind of um, here in America. It's the MPAA. I'm not sure what the uh, British equivalent of that is, but basically the ratings board and BBFC. Uh, there you go. Thank you. Um, so, yeah. So basically with all these, uh, you know, gory videos coming into the uh, country, without being looked at by any censors, they created the video nasty list. And they basically just as films were discovered to be, you know, not appropriate for British youth or in their eyes, anyone of any age in Britain, uh, they were basically banned and video stores started getting prosecuted. They started video store owners and clerks were getting arrested. Um, you know, businesses getting shut down, charges being brought up against them, all that stuff. It was really, really crazy. I mean, to, to, you know, to think that there was a time when you could get arrested and do serious jail time for renting a VHS copy of The Evil Dead to a kid. You know, we, we it's something that's laughable now. But, of course, back then it was serious business in the UK. So, you know, that's your short history lesson on Video Nasty. So, like I said, 
on paper, sensor is something that I should really like. It's a slow burn mystery. Um, you got some great cinematography throughout the film. The film starts out very gray. Um, no offense to any of our British listeners, but it looks uh, very much the way American films kind of portray London to look kind of gray, almost like it's always overcast, stuff like that. Um, and then around the second act, the movie almost turns into Mandy. It almost turns into Panos Cosmatos Mandy in the sense that we start getting these darkly lit blue and red scenes. Um, I, I wouldn't say reminiscent of Argento because Argento is a fucking master. I'm not, I'm not going to. I'm not going to compare a first-time uh, feature-length director to Argento, but I, you know, I, I think it's safe to say this movie reminded me a lot of Mandy, both in style, even in storytelling. Uh, there are some minor similarities between Red Miller from Mandy, Nicolas Cage's character, and Edith, the film censor here. Obviously, they both had loss in their direct family, and with Enid, it's more of a slow psychosis, whereas with Red Miller and Mandy, obviously, you know, he witnesses the event and basically only has enough time to chug a bottle of vodka and make himself a killer axe before he has to go out and act, whereas Enid has had, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of 15 to 20 years to kind of let this, you know, gestate inside of her. So basically, at the end of the second act, it seems like Enid starts to lose her grip with reality. And I, I won't really get too much more into the story at this point until we get into the spoiler section. But like I said, on paper, this is a movie that I should absolutely like. Guess what, folks? I did not enjoy this film, unfortunately. I can say that I was very much on board in the first act, watching Enid, uh, you know, perform her day-to-day -day tasks, watching all these you know, extreme cinematic scenes, you know, of death and rape and everything else. And Enid basically just emotionless uh, watching this stuff, which is something I've always wondered about myself. Like someone who has to watch this stuff for a living, how long would it take before they just become desensitized? And it's not even like over the top to them anymore. It's like, oh, yeah, look, she's getting her uh, breast ripped off. Oh, ho-hum, you know? Um, and I always wondered what that would do to someone's everyday life. So, you know, this movie, I, I feel like it should have answered a lot of those kind of questions. But because Enid has a trauma from the past that's affecting her, we don't really get a whole lot of what the video nasties are doing to her. Um, you know, uh, as Mike described in the uh, synopsis, eventually Enid sees a uh, video that kind of looks familiar to her for one reason or another. She starts to think that she recognizes people in the films and her psychosis kind of goes full blown from there. But yeah, man, on paper, this is a great concept. I, I, I feel like a horror movie based around a film censor, uh, someone who has to watch this stuff for a living, should have been more entertaining. And unfortunately, it's not. Um, the movie has elements of a lot of other movies, uh, a lot of other movies. I guess we can call them homages because they're not straight up ripoffs. But I mean, there, there's elements of Videodrome in this movie, you know, with... Uh, kind of how people consume media and what how that media will affect them after it's been consumed, things like that. There's even a tiny little bit of body horror in this one, too, which once again kind of harkens to Videodrome. Um, but ultimately, it's a weird ride because you're kind of on board in the first act, and then the second act is where Enid, you know, her psychosis kind of takes over, and we start to get more and more flashbacks of the event 
that, you know, caused her sister to go missing. We never really get real answers, unfortunately. They kind of leave that plot point dangling. We get what we think, what Enid thinks the answer is, and that's kind of the only resolution that we get in the film. But because of how the final scene of the film is shot, we understand that, you know, some of what we're seeing may not be exactly as Enid sees it. You know, once again, the unreliable narrator. So... Um, and then the finale of this film is almost too frantic for its own good. Like, you know, I, I talk about how I love slow burns that have a payoff. There's a little bit of a payoff in this film, but it still doesn't really answer the most, the most important questions. Is Enid insane and is her sister actually dead? All of that is kind of left unanswered. We, we get somewhat of a satisfying ending, but it still left me... <laughs> unfortunately very unsatisfied so yeah i guess ultimately my general thoughts are this is a, a good concept on paper but in execution there's just too many problems with it for me to really give it an ultra positive review uh, I'll, I'll leave it at that for now all right john what did you think of censor so once again i kind of was right with venom i really wanted to like this one um, I really enjoy the setup. I think, you know, she's interesting enough in what she does. You know, Venom is right. There's a lot of intrigue around her job, around being a, a censor, looking at, you know, this, you know, what would probably be deemed objectionable and obscene material on a day-to-day -day basis, how that's going to affect someone and, you know, eventually drive them crazy. But... Yeah, this just it goes off the rails and it just it just comes together in such an odd way that it's just completely mishandled and it just it doesn't work for me. Like, you know, like you said, there's a lot of unanswered questions and some of them are so basic that it's really hard to understand why they completely missed on answering those like, you know. Uh, I, I don't even want to, you know, go into them because that's going to, you know, we're not there yet, but yeah, there's just so many things about this that it really, it just feels so weird and there's absolutely no reason for it to be as weird as it is because, you know, the setup to this works. The setup to this is great. You've got a, you know, it kind of reminds me a lot of the stylist in that it's a character study of a person person that's really interesting and it has a great setup and a great you know you can see where th this could have been a lot of fun if they would have done things a certain way but i don't know just yeah for whatever reason this just absolutely blows its load in the second act and it doesn't get any better than i probably even call this medium uh I kind of have a hard time even calling this a true horror film, to be honest. Um, the way that this ends up um, resolving itself, just yeah, it's probably I think the most disappointing film because this one I wanted to like a lot more than I did, but it's just so mediocre and so underwhelming that I, you know, it's hard to explain without going into spoilers. But I really wanted to like this one more than I did, so. Okay, well, as far as I go, yeah, I'm gonna say I liked it more than you guys. I think it it fell short of me loving it. Um, I I think there 
your the criticism you guys have is pretty similar to what I would say are some of the faults of the movie. I think I don't mind when movies leave certain things a little vague. I think I think in this one there's just a lot left kind of up to interpretation. I think we get some fever dreamish stuff in the second and third act. I think um it's almost as as if we're not supposed to know whether some of it's actually taking place, which is not necessarily always a bad thing, but you know, it felt like a straightforward movie at first. And then it kind of starts going off the rails. Um, I, I do like the setup. I like, you know, there obviously the main character, she's dealing with a past trauma that we'll get into in spoilers that has probably, always had her you know since whatever happened a little bit unstable like under the surface because she's never really properly gotten over it maybe not properly grieved um over it and that's kind of like contributed to where she ends up i think they're kind of you know compounding that with the fact of what she does for a living where it's almost just like the perfect combination of things to drive her mad um i (laughs) I know this has been out, or I know it's it's been made for a while now. So I'm like, that ending really reminds me of another movie that we reviewed in 2021. Um, I won't say what it is yet for spoiler reasons of the other movie, um, and I guess this one. But I'll just you know I'll I'll just say the the like the last scene really reminded me of that like very similar in the execution and the kind of like Uh which is the truth and which one is you know the dream i guess of of what exactly is going on um yeah i mean i i honestly would even question how much of the third act actually happened that's so i ended up re-watching this because um you know, I I had watched it. I I think I had actually originally watched it before we even decided for sure we were going to do it, just because it was one I was looking forward to, and I knew Venom you were taking the week off, so I was like, yeah, I'll watch it. And then once we decided we were going to do it again, I was like, okay, well, I'm gonna just rewatch it to get details. And on my second watch, you know, I was kind of going back and forth. Like I I think obviously that final scene is supposed to be somewhat ambiguous, but. On my second watch, I was like, this whole third act is such, like you said, it almost goes like Mandy style with like the color scheme, uh, the atmosphere there. And then it just rounds out with like a total something else at the end. Can't get into yet. Um, but overall, you know, I like the the score in it. I, I, I dug the movie, just I felt like it, it missed a little bit of the mark, but not enough to, I'll say it, well, I'll just put it this way. It hit enough for me to enjoy it more than you guys, but I definitely see uh, why I people are going to be divided on this one, especially the way the movie wraps up. Um, I don't really understand why the, the trauma event needed to be as ambiguous as it is like we understand something happened with a character but i don't understand the reason 
for that specific thing to keep it so like, well, what exactly happened? Like I, I have guesses and like <laughs> I have guesses what they may be alluding to other than the obvious part. But again, it's like I can only really guess because they don't really spell it out. And maybe it's just on purpose. Maybe that's supposed to add to the psychosis that ends up happening. But I don't know. That's all stuff we're going to have to get into spoilers or get into during spoilers because otherwise, you know, it would not be general thoughts. But, yeah, I'll say I liked it more than you guys. Didn't love it. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, I'll yeah, I, I, got, I guess I can leave it at that. I, I, I Judging by your guys' general thoughts, I think I did enjoy it more than you guys. I probably found more about it that I liked, but fell short of loving it. So, yeah, I mean, on first watch, I was on board. I was totally for for at least an hour of the film. I was totally on board, um, definitely with the first act with Enid performing her job, um, the uh, the dinner with her parents, uh, you know, where she's handed, you know, something that she doesn't really want. We'll talk about that in the spoiler section um, all the way up until she goes even to the producer's house which is at around the one hour mark and something kind of terrible happens there too, which again, we'll get into in spoiler section, but it's like, once we get to that final series of events, it's so frantic. It doesn't give the viewer even really a chance to, to kind of grasp fully what's going on. I think by the time the movie was over on the first watch, I had a pretty good grasp of what was going on. And then on the second watch, um, unfortunately I was, I was definitely, um, using my fast forward button a little bit on the second watch, just trying to get through some of the scenes that I found hard to get through the first time. But, uh, I watched the whole third act, you know, uninterrupted on the second watch. And yeah, I, I, I still say that it's a little too frantic for this movie. Like I look at it this way. I look at it as if think about St. Maud. if St. Maud would have been the exact same for the first hour and 20 minutes, but then you tack on the finale of the Suspiria remake where heads are exploding and stomachs are popping open and all of that shit. It, it just doesn't fit. You know what I mean? It's just out of nowhere. It's like, what the hell, you know, ultra violence, people dying um, in this slow burn little movie that we've had. So it, it's not like I dislike the ending necessarily. I'm unsatisfied with it. I think that's probably the most complimentary thing I can say. I'm just unsatisfied with it. It was a little bit too ambiguous for me. I think I understand what was happening. I'm I'm almost positive I understand what was happening on screen. And then, you know, the the whole thing with the frames being snuck in, which we'll talk about again in the spoiler section. I totally understand what all what all of that was representing. It's just the fact that the movie ends with very uh, a large amount of unanswered questions. And it's just a little too much, you know? I've said it before, I'll say it again. I am a fan of ambiguous endings. I don't mind a little bit of ambiguity, ambiguity excuse me, in my horror films. But this one was just a little too much for me to be able to say, yeah, this was a satisfying uh, watch. And ultimately, it's only 84 minutes, so at least it's not taking up a large part of your day. And like I said... For the majority of the watch, you'll probably be on board with the film. I, I've already read some positive reviews where there are people that really, really love this film. They're, you know, praising it left and right. And, you know, that's fine. Your opinion's just as valid. But just for me, it just had it just was a little lacking. That's all. I just needed a little bit more and maybe slow down that finale. 
don't make it just so frantic where she's just rushing in and doing this and doing that and then rushing out, you know? Slow well, the way, yeah, mm-hmm. the way she, the way she kind of, and I'll try to keep it ambiguous. Yeah. The the way she kind of just walks in, pretty much very nonchalant. You know? <laughs> yeah, she, like she, if if I was the other characters there, and if the first thing that would come off to me as obvious is she doesn't feel like she belongs there. Exactly. Yep. And I felt like this is why I question on the second watch, like how much of that third act actually happened because I'm like, it, it's, it almost seems like it would be like some type of revenge tale in her head, um, which I'll, I'll expound upon that. What I what, what I think the movie might have tried to wrap up doing in the end, because I, I, this is one of those ones where it's like I'm looking for subtext, but I'm struggling specifically. Like it, it doesn't jump out at me in this one like it did others. I, I see similarities, like you mentioned Saint Maud, and I, I see some similarities in theme. Mm-hmm. But to me, Saint Maud it was a much more obvious subtext. This one, I'm like, is it, is it just a little more difficult to pinpoint, or is there just not any and it's just a lost cause trying to find any, but I'll get into more of that in, in spoilers. But yeah, definitely the way the third act played out, it's not just what happened, but the nature of how it happened yeah. is really what kind of like stumped me the second go around. Like, wow, that she was really able to walk in and do that with <laughs> little to no resistance at all. Yeah. Well, shock is a crazy thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like I said, I don't want to necessarily pan the film. I mean, I still think this is a great effort from a first-time feature director. Um, This director, oh, God, how do you pronounce her name? Prana Bailey Bond. Um, She's done shorts. Yeah, Yeah, um, yeah, she's definitely done shorts. Some pretty good ones, too. I've seen a couple of her shorts. um, They're not bad. Um, But, yeah, as a feature, I think... I think she tried to make this movie feel like just a long short and that kind of failed her. I think she's going to have to learn a little bit more about uh, character development, especially if you're going to do a character study, you really got to flesh out your character a little bit more. If you're going to fill an hour and a half to two hours, obviously this movie is only 84 minutes, but I mean, you still got to give us a little bit more to fill that, you know, kind of the empty blanks here and there. Like I said, I like a little bit of ambiguity here and there, um, but this was just a little bit too much. And that could be a purposeful choice by the director, too. It could be one of those things where she wants us to think about it. You know, she wants us to kind of plug our own facts in. And, you know, did the ending actually happen the way Enid saw it? Did it happen the way that the film crew saw it? You know, what exactly, you know, give me a little tip of the hat to say what's real or what's not, you know? Um, but ultimately, yeah, I, I do have to say it's a good debut. It's a good, cause she wrote it and directed the film. So I'll give her credit. I mean, it's better than any movie I could make. That's for damn sure. But, uh, yeah, still left me wanting a little bit more. Yep. I think that's a good way to leave it. Yeah. Huh. All right, folks, that's your final spoiler warning. We're going to get into our spoiler filled discussion now. Um, ultimately, I don't know how much we really have to discuss. I mean, we've already talked, we've already pretty much described the whole first act. It's basically just the introduction of Enid, what she does, you know, 
watching these films, you know, watching these scenes, even the way that she's talking to her colleagues about, you know, why she's taking out some, some, like why she would leave in a decapitation, but then she would leave, but then she would want to edit out eye trauma. You know, she explains it as decapitations are silly, you know, cinematic decapitations are always silly. Whereas eye gouging, it, it, it comes off as a little bit more realistic, a little bit, you know, harder to watch. So she decided to cut that instead of that. But uh, and then basically about halfway or so through the film, maybe a little less than halfway. Um, what ends up happening is a new killer has uh, surfaced in the area and his name is. Oh, what was it? The. um Something to do with sleeping. Amnesia, the amnesia killer. He's called the amnesia killer because he doesn't remember doing any of the murders. Supposedly, he's claiming that he was sleepwalking. But the murders that this person perpetrates exactly match um, murders from a movie that Enid was the censor on. And it's specifically, uh, they even talk about a specific scene where in the film, um, a guy eats the face of his victim. And in the real life uh, amnesia killer case, he basically killed his entire family, including his wife, and ate her face. So, of course, now Enid is dealing with the, you know, the kind of the blowback for that. Now, basically, everybody in the town hates her. She's she's the new pariah for the moment, you know, um, calling her debaucherous, disgusting, blah, 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 blah. blah. <laughs> yeah, if you if you weren't annoyed at the process of how these movies were censored before if, yeah. if if the way the movie depicts it is accurate where it's just kind of like a small group of people in a room kind of going through it and making up the rules and deciding you'll be mm-hmm. even more annoyed now like what the hell like yeah I, I can't believe that's how this actual process was done real no real expertise at all um, yeah, it's basically, and I gotta, I gotta say, kudos. I gotta say, kudos to the investigation team because I have no idea who the hell the censor is in my state, so I don't know how that kind of information got out there. That's true. I mean, that's kind of a tightly regarded secret. Usually, it's not like they, you know, live stream them, you know, uh, looking at yeah. these films and deciding what's good and what isn't. So, yeah, I mean, whether this is an ultra accurate look at how film censors, you know, handle their day to day duties we're not 100 percent sure but it seems good for us especially for the 70s don't forget the movie is set in the 70s in the uk so obviously everything is vhs no cell phones blah 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 so you know um i did enjoy that aspect of it um and like i said whether they're accurate with the job description or not whatever it's still it's still you know um shining a light on something that most of us haven't really been privy to you know mm-hmm. we don't get to see how these people yeah. do their jobs so yeah that was really cool yeah um i guess before we get too far in the movie because it, it, it's something that comes up you know multiple mm-hmm. times obviously to kind of show why enid partially is the way she is as far as the grief <laughs> the the sister that went missing when they were mm-hmm. kids now the, on the second watch i was trying to Pay close attention to like all the flashbacks, or yeah. I mean, how 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 accurate can we even call them flashbacks? Because mm-hmm. the char- the character we're seeing on screen, she's already you know somewhat uh, going through bouts of I wouldn't say insanity, but just uh, you know, psychosis. Psychosis, where is her flashbacks even accurate? But from what I gather, is I guess they were 
out exploring the woods and only one of them comes back. Now, to me, I don't know if they're if we're supposed to gather that she had something to do, like maybe it was an accident or something. That's what I, I thought the movie was going for. Oh, I wasn't even yeah. thinking it was an accident. I thought they were going to full on say that Enid killed her sister and that she blocked it out or yeah. censored it. I even thought that was a possibility too. I was just the second time I was trying to look for more definitive mm-hmm. evidence, but they, you know, it's like they kind of go up to the line of something doesn't add up to where the sister just got lost. And then you have, you have Enid, um, when uh there's like at one point in the movie she gets like a flash of her mom yelling at her saying it's your fault and to me that's somewhat of a giveaway not of what the mom would have actually said to her but enid's own guilt of what the parents would say to her if they found out what 100 percent actually happened so to me that was kind of enid's projecting of of the mom knowing like wish she would have known that Enid actually had more to do with it than simply, Oh, we went to the woods and my sister ran off. So I, I I wanted to run that by you guys because I, I wasn't a hundred percent either way, but it felt like to me there was more going on than the sister simply got lost in the woods. That is very valid. It is possible, but you also have to understand Enid is the older sister. So if Enid is with her younger sister out in the woods and younger sister goes missing, who are the parents going to blame? They're obviously yeah. going to blame the older sister who was supposed to be watching her. So, I mean, your your theory does hold water, Mike, but the way I was looking at it was just your basic um, kind of grudge against, you know, your eldest daughter because she was supposed to be watching. You know, you were supposed to be watching your younger yeah. sister. How did she disappear? Blah, blah, blah. So, oh, yeah, yeah. And then and then, like I said, as the movie kind of went along, I started to think, um, oh, shit, maybe did Enid. And, and I was actually going to get mad at the movie because I remember actually sitting on my couch the first time and saying, if it turns out Enid killed her sister, I'm going to be so fucking pissed off. <laughs> but luckily they didn't go that route. At least that's not what they imply in the film. So, you know, bravo there. But, uh, yeah, th- those flashback scenes, man, they're almost pointless. Like, they don't really show you much of anything. Like, they, every time we see a new flashback, it shows us more and more. But ultimately, all we ever see is uh, young Enid kind of approaching a shack or some kind of building in the woods, a small, you know, house or shack. She hears her sister yelling from inside the house. And then we see her approach the house, and then that's it. That's all we get. Like, like the flashback that gives us the most information, that's all we get. So we literally never find out uh, what legitimately happened to Enid's sister. I forgot Enid's sister's name already, but whatever. Uh, uh, did you even give her a name? Because all I got was the na- was the actress name. Well, Alice Lee. Yeah, you know, yeah. you're right. Yeah, um, all of, like I'm saying, they always just say, you know, it's time to end this. You know, it's time to move on. Yeah, I don't remember them ever really giving the sister a name other than supposedly who the actress name is. Right. I'm looking. Yeah, at and I, wa- right I wonder. Now. Yeah, I, that almost feels like it wasn't on an accident either, just for the fact that the parents were trying to. Well, the parents kind of had moved on as much as they can, and they're trying to encourage her. And honestly, because the flashbacks left everything so ambiguous, I felt like everything 
you were trying to accomplish with the flashbacks, you you really just accomplished it already with the dinner scene with the parents. Kind of, yeah. Because yeah. It, it, it would have been different if the flashbacks, you know, as the movie went out and we got more little flashes, if it would have revealed something like, okay, as the psychosis level goes up, okay, here comes more pieces of the flashback puzzle. But mm-hmm. we really, throughout the whole movie, we don't really get anything definitive other than the sister obviously feels immense guilt, but that doesn't necessarily mean she did anything wrong. It just means... I was out there with my sister. Now my sister's seem like seemingly been dead. So that could just mean I feel guilty because I was supposed to be watching over her. So I, yeah. So I, I feel like that's almost unnecessarily ambiguous because I want to know for sure. You know, to be honest, definitely not because, because I I think your, your point about if she did kill her accidentally or not, and the fact that she's censoring that out, that would even yeah. that would make the story even stronger because then it goes to show what like not only does she feel grief, but she's entirely memory blocked it out as best she can. And now it's seeping back, back in bit by bit throughout the movie. Then you combine that with everything, her job and all that, and then you can make that case for the third well, that act. Would, well, that would actually make the whole segment of why the film that ends up triggering her into going on this quest would actually have a purpose because other, otherwise there's no real connection to her job and the sister going missing. If the sister going missing actually gets, it, if it triggers something in the movie by showing what happened in, you know, what actually happened between them and then it starts re- tr- triggering the repressed memories, then it would actually make sense. Because as it is right now, the film's biggest issue is that the film that she's trying to censor has no real connection to the incident in her life. Like, there's nothing about it that actually does anything. It's just something that happens. It's just, you know, the last straw, sort of, and then it just makes her crazy. Mm-hmm. No, that's valid. Yeah. Well, yeah, because I'm, I'm assuming, like, yeah, like, when she's having her flashbacks, and I Ben mentioned, like, there's the one flashback with the house. Mm-hmm. that they're approaching as kids in the woods i guess so then like she's projecting that when she gets on the set and like oh look it's the house in the woods and now i'm back to redeem myself right, that would save yeah, her right, that, that, yeah that would all that would all make it make sense is that the film in question you know she's been fine all along maybe she's you know just a tad bit on you know i'm trying to think of like the proper term like just like a tad bit like you know stuffy and reserved like, mm-hmm. you know, the typical British person would be, you know, like, maybe she could be just like that instead of, like, you know, outgoing and gregarious. But instead of, you know, the film just pushing her to the breaking point, it could just, you know, it looks more like it's just the last straw. And if the film had act- if the film that she's trying to censor is actually triggering these memories, then it would actually serve a purpose other than, you know, it just showing up. It just be, you know, like the la- the wrong film at the wrong time the way that it appears in the movie. Yeah. All right. So about, I don't know, a little, about halfway. And the other thing I was going to say too, is the plot point that we, that I just brought up earlier about the real life uh, serial killer, amnesia killer, that plot point just goes away. Uh, we basically just completely forget about it. We get no resolution. 
Um, you know, all we really get is every now and again, some people out in public might, you know, throw things at her or call her names well, for that, letting this go by or whatever. Well, there was that one point, remember, there was that one point when she's in the library and mm-hmm. the superior is talking to the one guy and he says, well, the guy never even saw the movie. He'd never mm-hmm. even heard of it. Like, it just, you know, it was just like some weird crazy coincidence but then it just like trails off because she was running by yeah i thought that was kind of like the one real clue was that you know oh well she was actually doing her job it just so happens you know oh oops you know you know she's got i mean ultimately she has a valid point i mean uh as far as allowing that scene to go through the the scene in question with the guy eating his victim's face it's like that kind of violence is is so over the top silly. Like we don't look at something like that in a film and think, oh my god, that that could definitely happen. Blah blah blah. Even though it absolutely can, we still look at it as fiction. It's not like someone you know shooting someone in the chest or stabbing them multiple times. You know, so I can see why she looked at that scene as, oh, it's just over the top silly violence. You know, um, I, I honestly didn't think she did much of anything wrong, and ultimately they they never even make the point in the film to say that the amnesia killer actually saw the movie. I don't yeah. think they they never even well, say that's what that. I'm saying. Like, that was the conversation was that you know the new report is that he's never even heard of it. Right. So like the them trying to tie it into this movie is you know mm-hmm. uh, they're trying to go somewhere, but then they get distracted because she's like wandering away with the stuff because. Yeah. I think that's when she goes into the record vault and she's trying to find like the address or something. Yeah. Um, basically what ends up happening is um, a movie called don't go in the church comes in to the censor board. Uh, Enid is assigned to it. She starts watching it. And this is when she starts to think that Alice Lee is her sister. She basically sees this woman starring in don't go in the church. She also, for some reason has a memory of dreaming that church, the particular church in that movie. Um, uh, they kind of intercut between like, images in her head they could be memories they could be dreams again they leave that kind of ambiguous um but then like i said after she sees that you know uh, this girl potentially could be her sister that's when she decides to go out she tries to find more movies from this particular director his name is frederick north and uh, she ends up going to the video store getting an under-the-counter copy of one of frederick north's films Uh, the film is called asunder and again, she sees uh, the actress Alice Lee, and this time she's absolutely convinced. Um, she's mm-hmm. now seen her in two movies, and at this point she's totally convinced that that's her sister. So then we get the scene where she goes to the producer's house, uh, Doug something. Uh, he had a good name, too. Doug Smart. Doug Smart. Uh, basically a kind of a shawarmy producer, and uh, she ends up going to visit him, trying to get more information on Frederick North. As it turns out, uh, he's literally filming Don't Go in the Church 2 the very next night. They start production on the on the sequel. And, and then, you know, she ends up finding the address to where they're shooting. And at the house, before she ends up leaving, Doug ends up kind of uh, trying to assault her sexually. Um, you know, he starts rubbing up on her. And she, of course, you know... Um, pulls away instantly which makes doug angry she ends up um getting into a little bit of a scuffle a little bit of a pushing match with doug she ends up pushing him down and doug's head gets impaled on one of his (laughs) awards 
which actually is kind of funny because he was literally a minute earlier. He was talking about how proud he was of this award and blah, blah, blah. And then a minute later, he's impaled on it. So that was kind of entertaining. Not not exactly a guy we're going to miss. I mean, he was your he was your classic schwarmy, um, you know, executive. You know who he reminded me of? He reminded me of uh, Connell Cochran from Halloween three. (laughs) <laughs> like the attitude, the way that he carried himself, the way that he spoke down to women, it just all, it all fit. I'm like, wow, without the Irish accent, that's Connell, that's Con- right. Connell Cochran, I believe was his name. Uh, his, but yeah. His, so, award, his award went through final processing through his head, I guess. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> and then after that, we basically just get our finale. Um, like I said, Alice, or excuse me, Enid, finds out where they're shooting don't go in the church too she goes ahead and goes over there and um when she arrives isn't it funny how when she arrives they actually mistook her for alice lee and i don't really think they look alike all i could think is because the alice lee hadn't because didn't she say no one was here yet or something? Yeah, she. Well, a, a few people were there, but Alice still hadn't arrived. So that's. What, yeah. I mean, it was the makeup woman, I think, right? Makeup and hair that thought it was Alice, but it was yeah. really weird. The whole interaction between those two characters, it was almost like the makeup lady knew that it wasn't Alice, but she was trying to convince her, okay, I got to get you in the chair and get you ready for the scene. Yeah, like this is know, micro just, budget. I don't care. You showed yeah. up. Let's just use I never, you. What's that? Well, I never thought it was Alice. I thought they were just mistaking her for an actress on the set. But they actually but because they remember they like are, they have Alice already. In, well, I'm saying they remember they are they already have Alice in the. No, they dress in the thing. They put her in the same white because dress because they, they have Alice in the in the cabin. Right, right. But for whatever reason, I don't think the makeup woman knew. I mean, because she flat out dresses um, Enid exactly like Alice. They both have the same white dress on in that final scene. They both have their hair down and loose, untied. I, I mean, you know, she never specifically calls her Alice. So, you know, I, I, you know, I'll leave a little bit of room there for me being incorrect. It's quite possible. But it felt like she thought she was Alice. Like I said, because they're both, like I said, they're both wearing the same things. You know, they both have the white dress with blood on it. Um, Alice's blood is obviously fake. <laughs> Enid's blood is not. Uh, and the reason for that is because Enid gets to the production and she sees what she thinks is someone attacking her sister, Alice. What it actually is, it's a scene from the film, Don't Go in the Church too. that's being shot. Frederick North is there. We see him for the first time, but he doesn't last long in the movie because basically what ends up happening Enid walks into the set sees that there's another actor you know attacking quote unquote attacking Alice so she literally kills that other actor with an axe just starts fucking burying the axe in his chest Um, everyone on the set is disturbed instantly you know you hear women murmuring you hear guys gasping every you know some people aren't even sure if it's real because they are in a horror movie set um but then Alice just goes fucking beast mode. Uh, she decapitates Frederick North. Um, yeah. She killed one other person, too, and I can't remember how, because I know she killed three people in that scene. And I can't remember. It, maybe it was just a random PA. 
But she killed the that third. That could have been, yeah. I, yeah. Yeah, I was trying to remember, because I knew that she kills the threatening guy with the... She slaps him in the with the axe. Yep. And then she decapitates the director. But then uh-huh. there's one other thing before... The act before Alice Lee leaves the thing and she starts chasing after because there's exactly. three. Yeah, so mm-hmm. yeah, three people die on the set, all at the hands of uh, Enid, of course. Alice, as Don said, just ends up leaving the scene um, in tears and screaming, yeah, obviously. Like, what the hell are you doing? Exactly. But then, of course, um, Enid is trying to convince uh, this actress that it's her sister. Um, we never really get any kind of confirmation or even much of a reaction from Alice because it seems like as soon as they leave the set um, it almost turns into a little bit of a dream sequence and this is the part that might bother some people and if I if I if I'm correct I think Mike you were talking about St. Maud earlier yeah for yeah. sure so I just didn't want to say because it would make it too obvious. Oh, exactly. No, definitely. About how it ended, but yeah. Yeah. So basically what we get is we get the scene of uh, Enid trying to drag Alice away from the scene. Uh, she ends up throwing Alice in a car and they start driving away. But what we get is we get this happy, sunshine-filled scene of these two girls, of Alice and Enid kind of driving away. But what the filmmakers do that I actually like, I like this a lot, they pepper in little frames that show the opposite of what we're actually looking at. So basically there'll be a shot where they're driving away. Alice is at the window, one of the car windows, and she's just smiling and there's beautiful music playing. But then suddenly there'll be like a couple of frames of her screaming and it turns into a black, not quite black and white, but dreary, you know, the way it's supposed to look. Um mm. And then uh, same thing with the very final scene, with the final shot, too, where we're kind of looking at them supposedly, you know, in, in a happy embrace. Maybe not embrace, but uh, a little bit of a happy scene because Enid feels fulfilled that she saved her sister. But then again, it gets peppered with uh, what we think is the actual scene because it goes all dark and everything. So, um, like I said, this is probably going to be the point of contention for a lot of people is this sequence um, like I said, on second watch, I think I understood that the flashbacks, the little the little sh- frames that they were um, kind of plugging in was reality. That's the way I was looking at it. That's what we were actually that's what was actually happening, happening. But all the happy sunshine, you know, stuff with them driving away is basically Enid's interpretation of what's happening. Yeah, it was like so over the top happy with yeah. like the oh. rainbow and like the way the parents come out and are just like, the, like the way I think the mom like does like the happy nod, like I don't, I can't believe you did it, Enid. Yeah, we were wrong. Way. Like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> a little too, a little too sugary for to be yeah. a horror movie, definitely. <laughs> So I mean, we definitely. It seems like you know. Uh, yeah, and one, the- oh yeah, one of those uh-huh. one of the cut little cut in scenes is uh, what is it? Alice saying like, "Save me," right? Yeah. Uh, she's saying that to the parents, like, oh, "Save me," because of what the hell's going on? Um, and yeah, Enid's full blown like wacko right now. Like she's. Yeah, I don't know if she's coming back. (laughs) Maybe more. I mean, who knows if she killed anybody on the way there? Did we even mention the dude she acts looked like freaking typo negative? (laughs) He kind of did. Oh, Peter Steele. Yeah, Yeah, almost like almost like Peter Steele if he's like 
like 10 seconds into turning into a werewolf, but not quite. Because <laughs> he was more exact. He had like an exaggerated look, but kind of typo negative Peter Steele look. Right. That was the actor playing the Beast Man, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> the Beast Man. I forgot to mention the Beast Man. He is the antagonist of the Don't Go in the Church series for well, anybody it- who. And I love how they expound upon the fact that she goes nuts because when the movie's, you know, when the scene's filming and he's acting all like a villain, like you would in a movie, but the minute she breaks script or not even breaks script, but just starts acting natural because she's not part of the movie in the first place, his tone completely changes and he starts freaking out like, uh, what the hell is going on here? And I mean, that just shows you like how nuts the situation's about to get. Because I mean, here's this big built dude playing the big scary villain in a movie, and the minute things kind of go off the level, he he's starting to freak out. Not thinking necessarily he's gonna get killed, but just like uh, something ain't right here. And they just keep going. And uh, man, I love when the director storms in yelling, cut. Like, uh, you're a little <laughs> late on that. <laughs> like, yeah, somebody got cut up, all right. <laughs> and it's funny. like, what the hell were you? Why were you not in there in the first place, director? I uh, guess, I guess, you know, he, he let like the uh, co director or second in charge just film mm-hmm. that scene. I also, I kind of, one thing that I do kind of like that's kind of a wink and a nod is how earlier in the movie Enid was talking about, uh, like I mentioned, how she allowed a decapitation to go by because she said cinematic decapitations are always just silly. And Uh, then we get a decapitation in this movie that's totally silly. Super silly. But I love it, but it's silly, yeah. Yeah, this woman that weighs all of 110 pounds somehow is able to lop off an adult male's head in one swing of an axe. So clean, clean (laughs) decapitation. And the, and of course, like the hand, the hands, the hand is held up, kind of like wiggling still. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they they did a Friday the Thirteenth on us a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I did. I did kind of like that little wink and a nod, because they definitely could have made that decapitation like a ultra fucked up, gory, you know, thing. I mean, we've seen some gnarly decapitations, you know, in our community, but obviously, you know, periodically we'll get the one swipe and their head comes clean off type decap. And I think those are the ones that Enid was kind of talking about that, you know, I I let those go because they're silly. No one would believe that that actually is real anyway. And then in the quote unquote real world of this movie, she does that exact thing. So, you know, uh, a, a, a nice little wink and a nod to the horror fans. I liked it. At least the people who were paying attention. <laughs> exactly. But ultimately, that's the whole film. And I, like I said, it just leaves me with wanting so much more. It's funny, too, because this movie's only 84 minutes. I think it could have greatly benefited from those extra six. Just make it an even hour and a half and give me some kind of coda. Because we that's the thing. We don't get a coda. We basically, the movie ends on Enid's perceived happiness of the reunion. And I would have liked to have seen some extra little thing that actually is like, oh, no, Enid actually is crazy and she killed those people on the set. Or some other kind of resolution, you know, unreliable yeah. narrator, none of it happened, you know, whatever, something. Yeah, and I, I think the big difference, like, so it, it's a very similar ending to St. Maude, but the difference is, I mean, Maud basically burns herself to a crisp. Uh-huh. So whether whether she, 
you know, ascends to a heavenly finish or just burns to ash in front of horrified spectators, she has met her demise either way, right? But in Sensor, either way, whether her, you know, dreamy, happy ending is legit or the other thing is legit, you don't have to make that, like, cut to ending. Well, I guess I do like the VHS tape gag thing, but... Yeah. You could yeah. still give us like somewhat of a little tiny bit of aftermath of like the parents' actual reaction or what's actually going on. I I don't feel you need that much of an abrupt ending in this case because no one's neither of the characters in that sense are dead. I, I would have liked to see a reaction of like assuming assuming Enid's just conjuring up this happy ending and the other thing the cuts are the, what's really happening. Like, I want to see, like, the actual reaction kind of her almost coming to maybe for, like, a second and realizing, like, what's just happened and kind of, like, you know, just a little bit of insight into how that went down. But, uh, you know, I I, I kind of I, – I still kind of did like how it pans out and then it's like the VHS tape titled Censor comes out almost like they're saying, hey, she ended up, you know – starring in her own video nasty kind of like you know in a way in a way that's almost like the way it ended like you know her job was to censor the video nasties but and she kind of created her own video nasty but um uh what i was saying in general thoughts trying to allude to what this movie was trying to say if anything was there subtext there the only thing i could really put together and with like two bits from the movie is a we went over the fact that supposedly that serial killer had never even seen the movie in the first place mm-hmm. even though the deaths were similar and two enid's trauma and psychosis had already existed before she became a censor before she saw these movies oh, yeah. so the the only thing i can think of at all is that the movie was trying to basically say like you know you can't blame these movies for this kind of stuff. It the, the person has to be somewhat deranged in the head in the first place to be willing to go out and murder. No one's going to watch movies and it's going to like convince them that they should be out killing. That's and that might that and that's just me trying to think of maybe what the subtext could be, but I don't think it's heavy either way. That was just my guess based on little tidbits that we get from characters in the movie. Mhm. Yeah. I couldn't disagree with that. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, and I'm not even saying they were purposely making that subtext. That's just, oh sure. Um, like yeah. I said, I, I basically just looked at it as a character study of a woman dealing with her denial about the uh, death or disappearance of her sister, and um, like I said, it just by the time we get to the second act, that denial turns into obsession and it's just a matter of how she's dealing with that and how people around her are dealing with her. Um, We don't get really a whole lot of that. Enid is very solidly the driving force of this film. We don't really get a whole lot of scenes of people trying to interject and help her. You know, Mm -hmm. once her psychosis takes hold, that's it. She's gone. Yeah. Goes on a rampage. (laughs) And, and I think too, the, the reason why I would have liked it a little bit better or maybe a lot better had we got a more definitive answer to what exactly happened to the sister other than she went missing or, is because I think it would have helped 
us, you know, realize just how much Enid was suppressing. Like, did she, like, you know, we kind of talked about this a little bit. Was she suppressing the fact that she accidentally killed her? Is she suppressing the fact that she ditched her sister to go home and her sister was never seen from again? Like, what exactly, other than the fact that the sister is missing, is she suppressing as far as memories go? Like, how deep-rooted and how painful is it? Because we, what we learn relatively quickly once she has that dinner with the parents is she's obviously not coming to grips with the fact that the sister's dead. She still kind of has that like, no, well, she is still out there and we just haven't found her or she just hasn't come home and I'm going to figure it out, you know, eventually. And it's like, okay, what do you like? What's going on here? Right. Because even the parents are just like, no, it's time to let go and all that kind of stuff. So I would have just liked a little bit more, insight into the sisters whatever happened absolutely that's what i mean i mean the as as the movie viewer we're left wondering so is the sister dead is she alive you know we have no confirmation um i'm more pissed off about not seeing the end of alice's story because like i said she's kidnapped in the final basically kidnapped and brought somewhere i mean in, in enid's head she brought her quote unquote home Lord knows where she actually brought her. And I don't know. It's just I, I would have liked to have seen even like I said, that extra six minutes could have been vital to the story and vital to my enjoyment of the story. Because like I said, I was on board for most of the film. It was that third act that just lost me. You know, like I said, the constant. Is it real? Is it not? Un, is she an unreliable narrator? Is she schizophrenic? Blah, 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 blah. You know, so. I don't know, maybe, you know, a little bit more answers might have been nice. Hell, I mean, even just let me know if Alice lives. Like, you know, if Enid did eventually just go crazy and kill Alice, give me a quick shot of Alice's dead body. I don't need the actual scene. But yeah. a little a little bit of closure on Alice's story would have made me really happy. <laughs> well, and, you know, it, I mean, Enid, Enid in theory would have had to, her mind would have had to really been very far gone when this girl is sitting there screaming at you like i don't mm-hmm. know who you are i've never met you i'm not your sister like for her to just ignore that and be like no you got to come home it's like okay enid you're you're whacked yeah. at this point basically yep yeah and if uh, mm-hmm. well i'm just gonna say this if the entire premise of the film comes true realize that her daughter that her sister went missing and ended up becoming an actress in an exploitation film <laughs> yeah, very, very valid. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Uh, yeah. It's I a mean, weird one. Yeah. It's hard to believe that was her sister because unless that was like her first role and she had been completely underground up until then, you'd yeah. think like someone would have discovered that she was out there. And then we know, ne- and then even so, like what reason would it be for her not to reach out to the family and say, I'm a lot like it, it to me, there'd be, if, if they tried to say that was actually the sister, there'd be too many questions just from that. Oh yeah, I mean on the on the like less than one percent chance that they were actually trying to say Alice was Enid's sister, amnesia is about the only explanation. It just the I mean or some kind of trauma once which once again could have been answered in the movie. You know maybe Alice suffered so much trauma 
the night that she was taken that she just completely wiped all her memories from before that day. So she literally has no memory of having a sister, having parents, blah, blah, blah. Just you got to give me something, you know, the the movie, like I said, the movie sets up a really good story, um, gives us some really great care. Well, at least one great character in Enid. But then I even put the, I even wrote it in my notes. This third act is just making this whole movie fizzle out. Like all the goodwill that the movie built up in the first two acts, I lost all of it in the third act. I don't like I said, just just in in some aspects it was too much. In other aspects, it wasn't enough. So uh, I, I guess the long and the short of it is this is a good movie with an imperfect third act. Yeah, I'll leave, yeah. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> that's good enough on my end. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, with that, that's going to wrap up our discussion on censor. But before we get out of here, let's uh, find out if what anything we got. So Venom in what are two weeks off, I guess. Has there been anything uh, that maybe wasn't released at the time that you have to share? Uh, ultimately, no, because I have been just like I took last week off here. Um, I would have, you know, if all my shows were still fully active, I probably would have taken them off as well, just because I, I really wanted to take two weeks to do nothing but watch the summer series movies and, you know, really, really be meticulous on my scoring and my justification for that scoring and stuff like that. So um, most of my other shows also didn't record. It's not horror. Okay. Uh, the movie commentary show that I'm on, um, that one took a little bit of a hiatus for the NHL playoffs, believe it or not. Uh, a couple of the hosts on the show are big fans of teams that made the playoffs. So we kind of all collectively decided to just kind of take the month of June off. But hopefully we'll be back next week. And um, if everything stays as planned, we're going to be doing a commentary for Christopher Guest's Best in Show. Um if we would have recorded that episode in June, it would have made a lot more sense because June is when the Westminster National Kennel Club dog show actually occurred, which was why I picked best in show. But now we're going to be recording it in July. So eh, it won't be a special, but it's still there. So uh, th that'll be recorded next week, hopefully. And then the only other thing that I really have to talk about right now is um, the main show, No More Room in Hell. Uh, we still have our last episode out with Bloody Moon and Dr. Butcher. Uh, we should be recording a new episode in the coming weeks, and that'll be out on the Dark Discussions podcast network. And, and then the last thing is obviously what I've been taking the time off for the last couple of weeks, and that's the uh, the podcast Under the Stairs. For those who don't know, every year, Duncan, the host of that show, puts together the summer series where they look at um, a ten, they, they look at a decade in horror. And this year is uh, the 2010s. And so basically we're watching upwards of 25 to 30 films per year to basically put together our top three films, horror films from each year. Very specifically horror, because uh as if you guys are interested in the series, as you listen to the episode, you'll hear that some movies end up getting kind of taken off the list because we can't come to a consensus on whether they are horror or not. So if you're interested in those kind of conversations and if you're just interested to see what the host decided were the top three films of each of those uh, of each of the 10 years of the 2010s. 
Check that out. Um, the podcast under the stairs is available on the Legion Podcast Network. But from what I understand, none of the episodes that got recorded this month or next month will be released until early August. So I'd say uh, check out some episodes from the past summer series. Uh, look at the 2000s, the 90s, the 80s, all the way back to the 70s or 60s. I don't remember where Duncan started, but um, it's a good series, fun series. Good to... And you're going to get a a large selection of podcast hosts. It won't just be uh, Legion hosts. I mean, you're going to get a lot of people from Dark Discussions, from um, what was that other one? Implied Films, uh, the Implied Films Network, uh, just a bunch of different places. So it, it's a nice conglomeration of different podcast hosts. So I'd say listen to the series. You might find a new show to listen to, you know, through the summer series. So. Yeah, I strongly uh, I strongly recommend checking out those episodes. They are a little long, unfortunately. You're going to be looking at anywhere from six to eight hour episodes, but I, I think the content's worth it. So yeah, check those out if you get a chance. And that's it from me. Man, I feel naked only being on three podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to start a couple more. <laughs> All right, uh, Don, you got anything? So the only thing for me is uh, we managed to, um, as I was promising, uh, finish the Phantasm retrospective for uh, Graveyard Shit Podcast. Um, I have no idea when that's going to come out. Um, I, I'm i not even sure if we're still on Dark Discussions Network or not. I, Will does that, so I don't know where any of that's going to be, but... Um, yeah, that's uh, the only thing I've got going forward, but um, I am going to say this. Uh, if you guys thought Venom's rant on Greta was the angriest you've ever heard a person on a podcast, <laughs> wait until you hear me on this one. Oh, nice. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, there's a point in the discussion where I am positive people are going to think that I would have actually left the recording. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Um, it, Hey, I'm not going to say much more, but it's entertaining. No, it's not on. It's not on that. It's actually me getting angry at Will. Oh, awesome! Even better. Yeah, yeah. There's a. Which show is this on? Yeah, this is a Phantasm. Oh. It's going to be on. It's going to be on one of the. It's on one of the films. I'm not going to say which one. But it's on one of the Phantasm show episodes, and there's a section in there where I get so bad at Will, you would have figured I would have left the recording. Wow. Yeah. Um, uh, I, yeah, Greta, Venom's Greta rant is no longer going to be the angriest a person's ever been on a podcast. Awesome. <laughs> I'm happy to lose the title. <laughs> and I'm kind of a little disappointed to take it on, but um, I... Don't know when that's going to come out. Like I said, I don't know where we are. Um, last I know, we were dark discussions uh, with everything that's going on between us and with everything going on with Phil. I have no idea where we are. You know, that's all on him. I don't know what's going on, but if it comes out, I'll let you guys know. Cool. Okay, cool. Um, as far as I go, like Venom said, no more room in hell. I believe, I believe our... Uh, date is what the 12th maybe 11 um yeah whatever that sunday is because mm-hmm. yeah that's right 11th sunday the 11th so yeah if recording in about a week a week from a week and a couple days from now 
Um, and then, you know, I got summer series stuff coming up, I think the week after that. So maybe the week after that, depending on where everyone is, maybe I'll try to see if we can fit in a theme warriors in July. Um, yes. yeah, cause we've been pretty much getting theme warriors out monthly since we've come back. We just hit kind of like a area where there's just so much prep for summer series. If that's kind of taking priority over, over theme warriors, but I'll, I'll check on that. And then the only thing I've done, and I believe I did this last week. Um, I did a commentary episode of skip to the loo with Lacey and Neil, Neil Lamoy. Uh, I, I think it started because I think I was just like having a random conversation with Lacey and she's like, Oh, well, she's like, I'm bored. What are you guys doing? And I was like, well, we're not recording fresh cuts. So I have a pretty open week. And she just said, do you want to do a commentary? And I was like, Hey, it's like, I, I'm down to do it. But I was like, we need to get a third person because commentary episodes are really hard to do with just two people. <laughs> so I guess she threw it out to one of the chats and Neil hit her up pretty quick so we kind of did an impromptu commentary on the tales from the dark side movie the mm-hmm. mythology so that is out it's been out for a week i just since i haven't really recorded anything since i haven't really had a chance to say anything about it mm-hmm. uh, but yeah so that's out there um so yeah, yeah i saw Lacey, i saw Lacey pull out the call for that and i i actually did think about joining but then i saw that you joined and i, I work with you enough <laughs> yeah i i think it was one of those last minute things so like i yeah very wasn't sure 100 percent we were even gonna do it until neil got back to her and then i was like okay i was like i mean it's a it's it's one of those anthology movies that manages to stay like a quick 90 ish minutes i think it's yeah. not very long so i was like yeah this will be an easy one to bust out so yeah that's available um and uh all of Lacey and Dan stuff is now on Anchor, so if anyone is looking for it, just go to Anchor, or just Google it, and it should, it should come up. So that's all I got. Yeah. Um, as far as our, our next episode, I think we've kind of made the executive decision to skip the <laughs> theatrical. Yay! Oh, I'm so happy I don't have to watch that shit movie. <laughs> this is the first time in a while we've actually skipped out on a theatrical release. Uh, like, so happy. Like purposely, because there's always been the ones where like Venom would get the screening, and then like yeah. I couldn't find a way to see it in time. But this one, we're just like, does anyone really want to watch it? Like, if if the both of you would have said, oh, I want to do it, I would have I would have gone just because okay, I'm not gonna hold things up. But once all three of us were like, we're not really interested yeah, in that. I'm like, cool. Yeah, I think all yeah, all of us were just kind of like a progressive man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> If well, all three of us are bad going into it, it's not going to be a good show. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I'll probably eventually see it. Oh, I'll watch it. Like I, I just, on Netflix or something. But I don't want to have to use valuable time. Exactly. Netflix or something. I'll, I'll watch it at home. But as far as going to the theater to see a movie that I just, I have zero interest in. Obviously, I'm just as willing as you are, Mike, to do it if everybody else is down. But... Oh, man, I, I was really hoping that I could, you know, convince some people because, man, it's just that last one. Uh, well, the first purge, as as the last movie was called. I, I just remember just hating life in the theater. I just hated that movie so much. 
Yeah, and it, especially now, like, um, since we last recorded, there's been... Oh, yeah, we know. Sensor was one of them, but there's actually a couple more, like, VOD releases that I'm actually looking forward to, as opposed to just having to, like, randomly yeah. pick something that might sound interesting. So um, I'm good with doing one of those. We'll, we'll oh, figure yeah, we, it out. Oh, yeah, we've got stuff. I mean, there's... Uh... What do you call it? Um, false positive on Hulu. We've got mm-hmm. a new Shutter release, I believe, this this coming Friday. Or was it last we, Friday? I think we got like two Shutter releases because there's Unquiet Grave, and then I think there's Vicious Fun. That's the one I was thinking of. I thought that was this Friday, but yeah. yeah. So I mean, we've got plenty. We we got all sorts of stuff on the plate. And then I think there's also like one or two on Netflix's. Because I oh, know that they're starting the I know they're starting the Fear Street series, but I. Is that starting oh, this week? Yeah, yes. tomorrow starts. The, yep. It's the first one tomorrow. Okay, yeah. So. I've been hearing good things, too. Yeah, I haven't read any actual reviews. I just saw, like, someone posted a review, I think, from, like, The Observer or something. And it, mm-hmm. it, the headline was pretty favorable, but since it's so close to coming out, and I knew I'm already going to watch it, I'm not even going to read the review. Yeah, yeah. Um, Most of the Twitter posts that I'm seeing about it are positive. In fact, they all are. I don't think I've seen anybody on Twitter, on horror Twitter, say anything negative yet. It seems it seems like it's going above and beyond expectations because the book series was kind of a young adult series. It was kind of teen young adult, so people were kind of worried that this was just going to be scary t- stories to tell in the dark again. But all yeah. three movies are actually R rated, and yeah, from what I understand, they got at least the first one has got some pretty decent gore. So yeah, honestly, that. That's why I was like also surprised that like so many adults in our peer group were like excited. For, I was like, I'm that's, not gonna, I'm not gonna write it off before I see that's it. That's not but really I'm surprising. Like, I'm, I'm, that's not kind of that's not really surprising when you consider the age range most of us were when they first came out. That's why I thought they were gonna do that with scary stories. When scary stories to tell in the dark came out, I thought that they were gonna make it a little bit more adult for the people who read it in the 80s and 90s, but instead they pretty much kept it faithful to the books, which I'm not complaining. I did like that movie. It's kind of a fun little family-friendly horror film, if you will. It's fun. It's set on Halloween, too, so it's a good Halloween movie for the family, but I think Fear Street's doing it the right way, you know, um, kind of bumping up the content because, you know, the books were popular in the 90s, so we've grown up. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I'm excited. Exactly. But hey, yeah, you know, since we're recording late this week, only one day for Fear Street, not even a whole day. It's nice. <laughs> and a handful of hours it'll be out probably. So long ones though. I don't know if you looked, but they all three of them are almost two hours. They oh, already wow. they, there's already IMDb pages for the second two chapters, and yeah, almost two hours on all three. So Which is gonna, funny because I don't even think the books are particularly long. I could. Do. I don't think I read one, and I don't remember it taking a long time. But it's been it's been so many years and so many drugs since then that I can't fully remember. Yeah, I think to be honest, I think like when Fear Street started coming out, or at least when it hit my you know world, I was just becoming like a little too. But I probably read, like, you know, the first one I saw just because, oh, hey, it's a scary storybook. Mm-hmm. Um, but kind of like how I say, like, with, like, Are You Afraid of the Dark, that show on Nickelodeon Saturday nights. Like, mm-hmm. I, I watched, like, the first couple seasons, but then I just started to get kind of old, like, hit mid-late teens where I was like, all right, this is no longer something exactly. for me. Yep. Uh, but, yeah, all right, well, 
we given a little epilogue to our. <laughs> That's so. our preview of Fear Street. We hope you enjoy. Yeah. <laughs> All right then. Um, thanks everyone for listening. We will be back in a week's time with our next review. Looks like we have plenty of choices, so we will catch them. Say bye to listeners. Adios and hail Satan. Later. Peace.